There we go. Thank you, Tom. They were signaling me quick. Let's try that again. Good morning. I would say welcome back. It's been a big week since we were last together, but I'm thankful we can be together. Welcome Jane and Lee back from their traveling. Folks, all of you where you have been in this moment we have together. Our call to worship is actually from the prophet Isaiah. Um, it's a vision he has of good and new things to come. And so I've said it as a responsive reading. Let's read this responsively to draw our hearts close to the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our first hymn is number 538. Stand as you're able and let us sing to the glory of God. Amen. And be seated, if you would, please. It's always a joy for me to welcome those of you who've gathered here to worship of the living God this day. We've gathered uh, to join hearts and minds and pursue Him in grace and love. Those of you as well who joined by um, 
our live stream or by recorded service, we thank you for the opportunity to take this moment and join you in your space and time. Thankful that the Holy Spirit can bridge every extension. So we are here together. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, we've got a lot for this service that I'm excited about and anxious to give time to. But I want you to know after the service, we'll gather for um, our typical munchies and coffee that time together to interact and share. And then about 1030 in uh, room number one in the basement, we have our post-service question and answer interaction sort of thing. As part of that, uh, Pastor Darwin will join me and we'll be happy to uh, speak with you about uh, upcoming budget presentation, things for our 2023 that are ahead of us, as well as uh, this week's class is Holland. I won't go into a lot of that. Um, uh, we had several people from Hardwike, Darwin and Linda Gurink and Wayne Brower, myself were there. Nine hour meeting, uh, 80 pages of single space preparation work, a lot of interaction, a lot of work, and very thankful. By and large, I think things turned out uh, real well. Those are never meant to be a time where you kind of fight it out and figure out who wins and who gets to exert their will and then take a victory lap. The gathering of God's people like that has always got the aim of discerning the mind of Christ for his people. And by and large, I thought that went real well, um, except that it did require nine hours of meeting. <laughs> but sometimes that's just the work it takes. If you have questions and can't make it to the Q&A, make sure you speak with me. I'm happy to share with some things. We've got slides of upcoming events. Um, Valentine's Ball, a chance to gather particularly children's, parents, caregivers, folks together to celebrate and have some life together. That's coming up on uh, February the 17th. We will be doing a food collection for the Gateway Mission. Uh, we'll ask you to bring a non-perishable food item next week and be a part of things. And all of this is a way we express our mission vision that we believe we're called to invite everyone to join uh, with Jesus in being found in, formed by, and following Jesus. One way we do that, I'm going to segue in this, is we send me to places this week alone. I was with our middle school students on Wednesday doing a Bible teaching. I have no idea how many there were, but I was nervous about what if they organize and come for me. There was probably 40 or 50 kids. It was a great time with them, a lot of energy. Monday night with our high school, that was great fun. Friday night, we had function. Again, for seventh and eighth graders, an open door to the community to come and begin to build relationships. So these things are part of our mission here, but we have a mission elsewhere as well. And you might have seen a celebration in form. Let me ask David Steenweich if he'd come uh, be a part of this. Um, David is about to leave and head for South Africa. He'll be going there with a group of students from Holland Christian Middle School um, and will be working with, what was it called, Oceans Ministry. Um, you'll find that, uh, a link to that in the celebration inform. How long are you going to have to fly in order to get there? Why don't you talk with folks right here? Uh, 17 hours. In one airplane. And two. Two. Okay, you switch midair? Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta is a better place to switch than over the Atlantic Ocean. Good. You see, I was just with them Wednesday, so I'm always ready. 
And tell me some of the things you'll be doing down there. Uh, Pull right up to the mic. We are going to serve some orphans in an orphanage. We are going to help some people rebuild their houses after a fire. Uh, we're going to do some reflection. Uh, I think that's mainly it. Good. Okay, so from celebration to Africa, and I believe, did I see Yoder's? Oh, here's, have you seen the place you're going to? That's Fishhook, South Africa. So that's where the retreat center is, and that's part of where you'll be. Somebody's got to go and suffer there, right? It's looking beautiful. Good. And here comes uh, Zach and Christy and the Yodlings. Um, this is the last Sunday that the Yoders will be here in Holland before they head back to Nigeria where they work with Wycliffe and Bible translation. Um, you see some key prayer requests for them um, where they hope to launch uh, six to 40 new language translations uh, over the next several years. As well as, Zach, part of the blessing of your position is it's expanded in terms of managing nearly 100, many of those national folks to keep that going. That's right. Boy, that's amazing. Now, just a minute. We all be singing at the benediction? Perfect. We always know by Sunday afternoon what we're going to do in the morning. <laughs> it is great to see all of you, ladies. We're glad we have a chance for you and uh, Zach and Christy. And it struck me, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times two is 14 feet. 14 feet that are in celebration this morning will be on the continent of Africa in a handful of days. In this way, through them, we get to be part of a worldwide work of God. Can you imagine? I'm so thankful that celebration gets to be a part of what God is doing across the world. Don't ever tell me, oh yeah, celebration. No, across the world. Let's pray for them. I just take this moment. Father, thank you that you take regular people, Zach and Christy and a family, David, whatever age, whatever circumstance, and you call us to be instruments of good news uh, to a broken, confused, often violent world. You've made us messengers of a gospel of peace and reconciliation. Give them safety as they return to Africa or head to Africa. Uh, may it be transformative and powerful. Be gracious and kind to them. Fill them with the fullness of your grace. We send them with our blessing and our thanks. We pray these things together as God's people in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. And amen. Now, y'all will be available after the service for folks to speak with David as well. Good things happening. Let's sing together at this point. Um, I want to sing hymn number, oh, what is that? 682, Before the Throne of God, to call us and continue in that prayer.
Have a seat if you would please. And at this point, yeah, I see Miss Janet. We're gonna ask any of the kids that would like to come forward and be a part of um, our children's video, uh, make your way and uh, you can find a place here on the front row and be a part of our gathering before we dismiss them. There we go. Well, good day. You guys get a whole week without an older brother. That's gonna be exciting. <laughs> it's good. Hey. All right, we got a good big row here. All righty. Today we're going to look at a guy who is about 10 or 15, certainly less than 20, when his ministry started. It's the guy named Daniel. So let's watch the video and see what we get. All right, Travis. Israelites were now living in exile in Babylon, far away from home. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar selected a group of the most healthy, educated Israelite men to study the Babylonian language and culture for three years, then put them to work in his royal court. In this group, there were three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They served the king faithfully, and the king placed them in powerful positions. Nebuchadnezzar wanted his people to worship him, so he built a 90-foot-tall gold statue of himself and commanded everyone in Babylon to worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had committed themselves to only worshiping God. So when everyone else in Babylon bowed and worshiped to the statue, the three men stayed standing. Nebuchadnezzar was furious and sentenced them to be thrown into a fiery furnace and burned alive. The king ordered the furnace to be turned up to seven times hotter than usual, so hot that even the guards who threw them into it were killed. Once the three men were inside, the king jumped up and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we threw in? I now see four men, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The king ordered the men to come out. When they did, everyone was amazed. Not only were they still alive, but they were in perfect condition. Not a hair on their heads had been burned. Once again, the king was impressed, and not only let the men go, but promoted them. Years later, a new king of Babylon named Darius came on the scene. A friend of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego named Daniel, who was also an Israelite, was so well liked by the new king that the other leaders in Babylon became jealous and hatched a plot to get rid of him. They tricked King Darius into signing a law that said Darius himself was a god and should be the only god anyone should worship for the next 30 days. Daniel heard about the law, but chose not to follow it. He went into an upstairs room in his home and looked out the windows facing toward Jerusalem, and he prayed to God three times a day. When the Babylonian leaders saw Daniel praying, they told King Darius, who was now forced to punish Daniel. He was arrested and thrown into a den full of lions overnight. In the morning, the den was opened, and Daniel was not only alive, there was not a scratch on him. Years later, after the Israelites had all been living in exile for 70 years, 
the Babylonians were overtaken by Persia and the Israelites were allowed to return back to Jerusalem. They were going home. Venture. Daniel had and I'll tell you this as well. I always like to point these things out This is one of the earliest references in the Bible to the lions and God has been praying for them and working for them ever since You got to be quick It wasn't the Detroit football lion. Okay, they're they're all not they're giving me that hashtag dad joke so let me, let me pray for you. I'm glad you could be here. We'd be together. Father, thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name and for the word of God that shows us examples of what it means to live for you. Teach us this day through the life of Daniel. Thank you for his faithfulness, and in that you used him to bless all people and to point to Jesus. Bless those who work with our um, kids this day. Be with each of them as they grow and live and learn. We stand with them and pray in your name, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. All right, some of you will head with Miss Janet downstairs. Others of you head back, be with family. And I'm going to ask Andrew Gorder, uh, one of our council members, if he would come. Uh, we've made a commitment. Oh, you know what? Um, before we get started, parents, I'm... Um, made a promise to our children's ministry to tell our kids while they were here that they will be getting a little fundraiser for Feed My Starving Children. It looks like, uh, I can't open it, they sealed it. You'll find M&Ms in it. I was gonna share them with you, but so much for that. So if this comes home, eat the M&Ms, then fill it with quarters for Feed My Starving Children. Take it away, Andrew. Thanks, Bill. Good morning. It's good to see you, and I'm pleased here to come and share with you an update. It's, uh, we want to keep you informed and make sure the communication between council and the congregation is always good. And uh, anyway, I'm very thankful. Thankful for, for your generosity and for your commitment to ministry as you worship the Lord in a multitude of ways, for sure. But worship the Lord also with your giving. That is a part of how we give thanks to God and serve him and serve our community. So thank you for that. Um, we're grateful for every contribution. And just as you heard some of those announcements towards the end of last year, um, I want you to know that the giving and the response at that point of the year was from multiple, multiple gifts and not just from a few larger gifts. From a council leadership standpoint and staff standpoint, that is a very positive sign. We are uh, also noting that throughout 2022, and this is of course now post-pandemic, um, our worship attendance across campus has increased um, 19%. So there's been a return, and that's good. I mean, it's ongoing and continuing, but it is good to be able to track in a 19% growth in worship attendance is, is positive. And all told, I think that tells us we're in a peaceful and fruitful season here as Hardaway Ministries. One thing in particular that I'm always grateful for is the way that our teaching pastors, Bill, Aaron, and JB, the way that they work together, I find that to be tremendously sweet. They meet every week, they study, pray together, share some insights in their preparation for Sunday, and what has been happening, as you're all aware, is Sunday to Sunday, there's a 
continuity and there's some integration with the messages that are preached across campus. Not the same message, but there's certainly integration. And I think we have a common message as a community going out week to week. And that's just a fruit of the sweetness of that relationship between those three. Um, as we closed our 2022 finances, our expenses outpaced our contributions by 184,000. So we spent more than we took in, really is what that's sounding like. And one of the realities was that in 2022, we started with a much higher balance because of some really strong gifts towards the end of 2021. And so that's why it's kind of remarkable to think about because the way we started. On the other side of that, we're starting this year with a cash balance of 244,000. So that's positive. However, here's the note, which is what we want you to hear, is that January, February is typically, those are typically tough months in the giving patterns of us as a community. So with that, and if we just continue uh, spending, we're going to possibly have to touch our emergency fund by about mid-year. So the encouragement is this. Consider your giving, your patterns, how you give throughout the year, and consider just challenging yourself as you worship the Lord with your finances to, to remember and consider the, um, the way the Lord has provided for you and how he needs to provide for us as a congregation. What is happening on the other side of that equation is the staff has been looking at the 2023 budget. They've already identified 24,000 that's coming out of the budget. And as council this past Monday, we, uh, we looked at other things beyond what the staff had already identified. And I think what I'm very encouraged by is a pretty intense consideration of where do we need to reduce our expenses for 2023? Those two things challenging ourselves as a community to give and looking very um, studiously and judiciously at the spending patterns and be very faithful across the board. Hardawike is very ministries driven and you know that has been our commitment over years and uh, there is a lot that goes on here on this campus. Just driving by on a just midweek you'll see cars and that's representative of people here engaged in stuff. Over at the Anchor, some of the relationships that are developing within our community have just surprised and brought me joy. So know that there's a great deal that happens here. We're committed to keeping you informed, which is why I'm here today. And we're also really encouraging us to challenge ourselves in that spiritual discipline of giving and worshiping the Lord with our finances. If you would like more information, um, feel free to connect with Pastor Darwin or with Norlin, one of the campus teaching pastors. Um, we'd be happy to talk further. If you'd like to have more information about the spiritual discipline of giving, um, that's another thing you can talk about with Pastor Darwin or one of the campus pastors as we grow as a community. Thank you very much for your time and taking this moment to listen. May the Lord bless you. You can cheer him. <laughs> um, and he's on his way to help with the music infusion. We uh, have leadership invested all around. You know, the family I grew up in, uh, for most of my time in the house, had only one car. 
And so there would be these moments where uh, at dinner, mom and dad would kind of figure out the next four or five days and who needed the car when and who got where to do this, that, and the other. And it was interesting because occasionally I'd have a friend over uh, for the night and they would at, at dinner, they'd watch mom and dad kind of figure things out. They were seeing a healthy family conversation about what it means to, to live together. And for those of you visiting, those of you who are new to Hardawike, we're glad to have you in on a family conversation like that. Do you, do you see this sort of thing? We need to be open and clear about uh, where we are in these things. So we're looking to communicate. We're glad to uh, involve folks with that. Feel free to follow with questions. Again, Darwin and I will be available this very day uh, for more. Uh, but in very real ways, I told you just a little bit about my week. Uh, time with students, high school, middle school, uh, the things that go on. I'm thankful for healthy ministry and the opportunity we have here in, in this moment and in this place. So let's pray together and continue with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your good purposes on planet earth. And even when we feel like Daniel must have, asking the question, what is happening here? We know that you have a good plan to bless, to care for, and to lead your people. And so continue to refresh us in the call to faithfulness and to find in our faithfulness a security and flourishing rather than simply in our circumstances or our own power. Thank you that you've loved us deeply. And we see that love most clearly when we look at the cross where God the Son would take on human flesh give his life in exchange for ours, and then equip us through God the Spirit to be messengers of good news, reconciliation, hope, and peace. Continue to bless and lead Hardwike that we might make Jesus known from here to Africa. Father, we pray for Watershed, our, our sister community in the Anchor, and for Pastor Aaron as he preaches this day. For Fusion, where Andrew will be helping with uh, music, and Pastor JB will be preaching. Pastor Sarah, as she leads that worship team. We pray for Pastor Florencio and Mission that'll meet right here in just a few hours and declare the praises of the living God in the Spanish language. And yet in this moment, you've called us here, a particular people in a particular time, the people as celebration. I pray that you would bind us together in your love, that you'd uh, empower us with specific uh, ways of encouraging, loving, and, and building one another up in the faith. I want you to ask you and give you just a moment here for general intercession, just in the silence of your heart, to pray for those who may be sick or discouraged, distant, frightened, whatever it may be, just in your circle of relationships, pray where there may be a need. Father, you've called us to live in this day and this time and to pray for those in authority over us. Help us to see what it means to live that out as we look at Daniel today. Help us continue to pray as we do in our regular cycle today for the federal level of government. We pray by name for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for our area representative Bill Heisinger and for the Supreme Court, 
for all those who work with them and beneath them to implement and to move forward. We pray for a rule of law and a fruitfulness for the land, not simply that we might uh, accumulate and enjoy, but that we might be fruitful, live at peace, and be extensions of your gospel in this country and to the ends of the world. Father, we do close with a missionary prayer, whether it's our own people headed to Africa this week, whether it's us walking uh, across the street in the neighborhood to invite, or even smiling across the pew and welcoming those you would bring. Give us hearts that see you've called us to be part of a bigger thing, the work of your kingdom. Encourage us, guide us, bind us together, and most of all, make us one in Christ as we pray together, just as Jesus taught us the words of this prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue. Our goal for this school year, essentially, has been to work through the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation using this kind of focused, edited portion of that called the story. And this week, uh, we're in chapter 17, Daniel in exile, and we'll look at some passages from both um, Jeremiah that he wrote to the exiles in Babylon, as well as to several incidents in the life of Daniel, who was there. So we're calling this a kingdom torn. It's the end of a particular mini-series in this larger thing. Um, and we're still looking at the division and collapse of God's people in terms of the nation. Next week, we begin what I'm calling the duct tape series. We'll see the nation restored where things are rebuilt and um, made new in a way to point us to the coming of Christ. But let's begin with Jeremiah 29. I'll read verse 4. But let me start with this to kind of give you the setting. Jer the, it, it's written in verse 1. It says, this is the text, the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's saying real clearly that this is the text. These are the words written down and preserved. Let's jump ahead to verse 4, if we could, and it reads this. This text said, it said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried, circle that if you've got your own Bible, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, 
seek the shalom. We use the word peace, but the Hebrew word shalom has more to do with wholeness, not just the cessation of hostilities, not just stop fighting. It's bring wholeness and fullness. Seek the shalom and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have, for they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says from negative. I didn't say that to positive. This is what I do say. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, help us to sense and see the the heartache and the tumult of the moment into which you gave this word, faithfully recorded by Jeremiah. He said it's a text, so he wrote it down and sent it off to Babylon. And then in fascinating ways, it's been preserved so that now, centuries later, We might, as it were, unroll the scroll, translate, read, study, pray, meditate, discuss, and hear your word for us in this day and in this time. Illuminate our hearts and minds to receive what you gave as revelation. Guard your people from my brokenness and confusion. Instead, make Jesus clear. For as he said, he is the fulfillment of all that's written in the law and the prophets. We thank you for his great love for us, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, not because we can conjure you up, but because you pursue us and love us. Be with us, we pray, in your marvelous and mighty name. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Well, it's interesting, you know, I do in my Bible study, one of the spiritual disciplines I'll do is Lectio Divina, Lectio, where I kind of take a passage that I'm preaching from and prayerfully, meditatively try to live into the passage. What would it be like for me to be there? How would I hear that? What would my surroundings be? And when I did that this week, I asked, how in the world is this letter good news? Think about the situation. The first thing that's real clear to me, there's no going home. That's part of what this letter has said. Remember, God spoke to Jeremiah. He wrote it down in a letter. That letter was sent to Babylon of all places, the center of godless power and oppression. 
They had just destroyed everything that was holy and good and loved by the nation Judah. So in Babylon, he says this here, pray for them, work with them, be a part of things, and in 70 years, I'll bring you back. Now, if you're a dad, 40 years old, what does the promise that in 70 years I'll bring them back mean to you? It means I die here. Thanks. There's no going home. Sadly enough, there was nothing to go home to. As part of my preparation, I was looking at some of the archaeology of this time. It's been fascinating how much the archaeology has advanced since I was a college student. I included a um, blog post in the Celebration Inform that uh, dealt with just one of those issues. But right now in Jerusalem, there's what they call the Temple Mount Sifting Project. They've come as they dig down, in, as archaeologists do, they've dug, dug down to a level, and there they found nothing but ash and expensive broken artifacts. And it summarizes as this, it looks like there was a prosperous city that got burned to the ground right at the time you'd expect the Babylonians in Je Jerusalem. Remember, friends, there's nothing to go home Two, as they're in Babylon. And the promise is, it'll be 70 years before you go. And for a 40-year-old, that would essentially mean you die here. Now, Daniel, at this point, we don't know exactly. We know he lived to meet Cyrus, who would send the people back. So he would live for another 70 years. It's worth guessing that he was 10, maybe 15 probably not a lot more than 20, but a young man. And he would have been in the crowd hearing this letter written. He would have seen the face on his dad as his dad had to figure, oh man, that means I never get home. But my son will. And my grandchildren. See, that's a hope that's here. It's hard because Israel in this moment with this letter would have realized they had no agency, only utility. The people who were alive in Jerusalem, they weren't there with rights and freedom and opportunities. They were there because Babylon, the oppressor, felt like they could be used for their benefit. That's what utility is. I'm useful to someone when a business or a college sees people only as consumers for them to profit from, that's what it looks like to see people only in terms of utility rather than as humans, image bearers of the living God. When a candidate or party sees citizens as votes to be manipulated and gather, a ticket to a candidate's power or for a particular policy and not as humans to be served, that's what it looks like to live in a land marked by utility rather than a place of agency where people make their decisions. So there was no going home at this point. And the other thing that really stood out to me about this passage is the claim of the passage is that the Lord himself is speaking. Now here's how it happened. The Lord from outside the system communicated to Jeremiah Jeremiah wrote it down, and he sent it to the people in Babylon. 
It's the Lord himself speaking. This is not Jeremiah. Here's the blessings I have for you. Here's what I hope will happen for you. The text claims this is the Lord speaking. Eleven times, just skimming through the English translation, you see the word I, first person. I, the Lord is at work. Six times you read this statement, the Lord declares, or this is what the Lord says. The text presents itself as sensible information into the real world of human beings that has its source transcending the physical world of human beings. Now, I know that sometimes people will say, well, this must have been written after they got back to Jerusalem because nobody could predict the 70 years. And I want to tell you something. I, I was in classes where that was taught, so I, I know of that. And the challenge here is that in terms of the text, it presents a word from outside spoken into human language and human time. We've got two questions to ask. First, can it happen? Is it possible that there's something beyond our imminent physical cause and effect reality? Is there more to this? Can it speak in there? And then you've got to ask, if that can happen, did it happen? Two different questions. Now, the Bible presents this, and I want to tell you, I won't go into all the detail, but I'm convinced that's what we have here. I'm convinced that it can happen, that there's a transcendent God who's not limited by his creation, but that transcendent God speaks sensible words into the imminent human cause and effect realm. I believe it can happen, and here I believe it did. But that makes it real different. This is not just people who are back in Jerusalem and said, oh, we could have gone into captivity with the hope of 70 years. No. Bef while they're in captivity, the Lord speaks from outside to inside and says, there's a limit here. I'm going to end it. It'll take a few generations, but it will end because I'm the Lord of history, not your circumstances. The Lord is speaking. The imminent pressure to reduce this to flat dimension, personal projection or social forces looking back on an event. No, this text presents itself as a sensible word from outside the imminent frame that we live in. It can happen. And I believe here it did. Part of what gave to, God gave to the people was clear commands. It was interesting as I dug through in the Hebrew and Hebrew verbs are a little uh, more challenging to count than English verbs. But there are at least 13 Hebrew verbs in the imperative voice. That means to say they're not ideas or suggestions, they're commands. Plant, that's a command. Build houses, that's a command. Marry, give children in marriage. Pray, prosper, those are commands from a transcendent God to people living in real painful circumstances, there are commands, do this. And this is more than just a transaction, do what I command and that will pay off. 
Instead, I want you to see it as the path of safety. Here is reality. Because I exist, the Lord says, and I have purposes. Live this way and I will live with you. You will flourish. Daniel will still need to pray every day and hear from God. But he lived within the clear guidelines of these commands. So he needed a daily life-giving relationship with a living God. But he was not left to figure it out on his own or to take a poll with his friends or to do what was expedient. God spoke clear commands. Thirteen times the imperative verbs that are given to him to make known the path of safety and flourishing. It was also sadly taken by this uh, statement. We read it, there will be deception from within the group. Do not listen. That was an imperative verb. Do not listen to these false prophets who will say this, and it's a lie. I was very struck that in that community in Babylon, it must have been in this way similar to the United States. I've pointed it out that in our country today, you can start with an opinion and find a church that will affirm it. It's perfectly possible. Start with your opinion and then line up what fits with you. Now, that would work well if each one of us were the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe, and I'll let you figure it out for yourself. No, friends, there's a truth, and it's transcendent, and we need to connect our lives to that. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I'm wondering. I might do better or worse on any given days. But because there is truth, we need to also be attuned to deception. I want to tell you, the power of this world is passing away. The power of the living God stands forever. Now, to really press in, we need to recognize that there will be lies spoken in the name of God. We need to be a people of humility, always willing to learn and reassess and consider, but also discernment, listening, learning, prayerfully considering, thoughtfully analyzing. I mentioned uh, classes meeting this week and working through overtures. Uh, one church brought five overtures. All of them were considered, prayerfully listened to, prayerfully considered, and, and then acted upon one way or the other. Not because one side had to have victory over another side, but because both sides should be, and we're seeking, what is the mind of Christ in this? How do we live this out? See, that's completely different than the ways of the world. We need to be a discerning people, and it's right there in the text, verses 8 and 9. So, I finally came to answer this question, how is this good news? It's good news because God promises people a hope and a future. Notice, some of them will die in these hard circumstances. Notice there are commands that guide their living, and they're going to have to figure out how to live day by day. May not be easy, may not be comfortable, but God, from outside the system, gives them a hope with which they live in the system. And so there we go, the call. I began to see that Daniel was a prophet, a young man who grew to be an old man through the course of that book, who was living this letter in real time. If you want to see what it is like to live Jeremiah 29, 
Look at the life of Daniel. He gets this message from God through Jeremiah. He lives that way under a whole variety of kings. Now, in the fall of 2020, we did a sermon series, chapter by chapter, uh, through the book of Daniel. Uh, I put a blog post with quick links to that if you want to go back and see that. But in the story, we looked at four particular experiences in um, Daniel's life. And I only want to touch two of those quickly today to help you make the connection that what is written in Jeremiah 29 is lived out by the prophet. So before you read a chapter in Daniel, it'd be good to think, okay, what is chapter 29 of Jeremiah say? Okay, and then to read it like that. Chapter 1 in Daniel is what I call the diet of discerning. You remember when uh, he and his three friends are first carried in, they're young men, they're going to be trained, they've been identified as great utility to the kingdom, they can do what we want, so we train them and use them. And Daniel, though he has access to everything the kingdom has, kind of like Moses did in Egypt, he says, I'll be trained but I'll keep my heart trusting in God. The king wants to feed me, but I'm only going to eat what the Lord provides. Now, we miss the point of chapter 1 if we think, oh, the Daniel died. If I eat like Daniel, I'll be svelte and well thought of and capable by my people. It's a good idea to be svelte. I can hardly say it, much less do it. But this is not about a diet that pays benefits. It's about a heart that's learning to discern and learning to live on what God gives to trust him. So chapter one is about living in a land with different values and culture, but learning to trust in the Lord and his ways. Hearing his commands, obeying those. Living in light of his love and his priorities, not surrendering to the priorities of a surrounding culture. It opens up with this group of young, young exiles chosen for their utility to the world and to the king. He wants to rename them. He wants to give them a new identity. He wants to train them. He says, I'll let you live if you serve me, even prosper. And to an extent, they're willing to do that. It's very, very interesting. They get the best training available. But their hearts are never changed. Chapter 2 is about a dream that the king has. Again, it's interesting. He won't tell them the dream. Daniel has to hear from it from outside the system. And in that, he rescues his enemies. I'm fascinated in chapter 2. Even the pagan servants of Nebuchadnezzar find life because of Daniel's faithfulness. Chapter 3, you remember, is the building of the big uh, statue to worship and uh, Daniel's gospel posse, his peer group, says, we'll serve you king and serve you well. We'll meet that utility, but we will worship no one else. They're thrown into a fire. You see, when God said, have sons and daughters, let them marry and have sons and daughters, he knew perfectly well that to stay faithful to him, it may put them in the fire. It may put them in the fire. But there they would have a God encounter like no other. Finally, chapter 6, 
was very struck to call this chapter one of faithful disobedience. I've given to you links for several weeks now to read from the Chinese pastor named Wang Yi, who's currently imprisoned. I first came across a statement he made, my statement of faithful disobedience, where he recognizes the government of China and that it's established by God, but will not let that government determine how he worships. He would serve them, and Daniel would do that, but he would not worship by their dictates. Now, Wang Yi is now in prison. Daniel would continue to worship God even as he served well in Babylon. It's fascinating. Daniel never achieved his position by putting together political power and exerting his will. He was so fruitful that Nebuchadnezzar came to him and said, boy, I want you in my position. So he would serve the king even as he would worship no other. And because of that, he got to visit the lion's den. And it becomes an object lesson for Daniel, for Nebuchadnezzar, and for the community that our God owns the lions. That's why we don't worship you. Our God owns the lions. And whether Wang Yi, whether the world in which we live, we're fruitful, good citizens, but we only worship one God. So lessons learned, and I'll go quickly through this. It was just so fascinating to look at Jeremiah 29 as the lens for seeing the book of uh, Daniel. It was very helpful the way the story broke that out for me. First of all, we live in this world with a hope and a future because we know at the end of the day, it is the Lord at work. There's a reason that the Nazi regime was overthrown. There's a reason that oppression collapses over time. It's the Lord at that is at work. And his people are called to live with a trust that motivates obedience. Because I trust him, I will live this way. Because of that, we can be a people who are making a home even away from home. We'll live here and be fruitful, make positive contributions, the kind of contributions that are so helpful that many people will receive the fruit of our flourishing and blessing. That's a reflection of pursuing shalom for all, wholeness. Where justice reigns, where safety is for all, where opportunity, where the courts meet out the rule of law, justice for all citizens. That's how the people of God are salt and light where God replaced them. We need to be a people who are discerning about the deception from within and resisting assimilation from without. You know, there are some things that our culture says are fine that I think are destructive of human flourishing. And part of my contribution to our culture is to point out what's destructive to human flourishing even if it might be legal or accepted. You see, I'm not called to serve by assimilating. I'm called to serve by being salt and light. That's this call to shalom. I want to close with this one focus, shalom, that big Hebrew word. 
meaning wholeness for all. That's the message of Jeremiah 29 and the book of Daniel. Work, shalom for all, wholeness. What that means for Wang Yi, the pastor in China right now, is that even as he recognizes the power of a government to imprison him, it will not determine his worship. Only God can do such a thing. I included another uh, link for you in the Celebration Inform this week. I encourage you to see it. It's how to pray in Memphis. As it turns out, the largest Presbyterian in terms of attendance in the United States is in Memphis. It's a church that's a part of the movement that I'm part of, the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And it's pastored by an acquaintance of mine. Mary Lynn and I have spent time with Rufus and with Jackie. And this is an opportunity to pray for Memphis through an acquaintance that I trust. And I share that with, with you in that regard. Rufus just seeks to be the pastor of a gospel-centered church. But he's placed in that community in this time not to be assimilated, not to be frightened, but to bring wholeness for all. I've had conversations with many of you about the change in atmosphere at work where you kind of know what you can talk about and what you can't and who you can talk about what with whom. We're living in a changing time. Daniel shows us how we can work for the shalom, the wholeness of all, while being faithful to God, that it's not about the circumstances, it's about faithfulness. Friends, Daniel shows us that flourishing, a happy, joyous, fruitful life, does not depend on your circumstances, it depends on the Lord's blessing. Daniel shows us that worship does not depend on your location. Jerusalem is sacked. It depends instead on your heart. Daniel shows us that obedience does not depend on the outcome or the dividend. Obedience is what we do because it's right, because it conforms us to God. And whatever the cost of that obedience, God's presence is greater. Daniel, faithfulness to the Lord, not to his own cultural rights or comfort or security, but faithfulness. It may be required that faithfulness calls us to give up comfort or security. And he would do that. Wang Yi does that. Rufus does that. Each of us should, with humility, stand for God because we trust him for the future. He holds good plans for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your marvelous provision. And we thank you that even when our world seems changing, confusing, to pressure us in particular directions. Help us to see that in obedience to you, we can flourish regardless of the cost and be a blessing to our community. Thank you for young people like Daniel at the beginning of his life, who would through obedience and faithfulness grow to be old. And through his faithfulness, would live to see you in glorious and powerful ways. Guide us, we thank you for your word, for the comfort it is, and for the hope and the future that you have given to your people. Help us to rest in that marvelous security in Jesus Christ and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Friends, our closing hymn, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. It's hymn number 604, let's stand and sing.
here. Two special things. I'll share with you the benediction, but then we have a special blessing of music and a special postlude. We'll let you figure that out. Here's the benediction of our God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. And a blessing from Africa. To sing the blessing to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Ubangiji, abarka cheku, fuska satahaska keku, baku alheri, ubangiji, kiayeku, baku salamah.